0: Hello everyone, I am your host Alejandro Colindres. Welcome to series one of the podcast, The Road to Champagne, 13 Tested Principles to Drive Your Career to Success. This podcast series will benefit professionals that have room for growth in their career, especially young professionals. We will explore one principle at a time. You can see the framework in the website RoadToChampagne.com. It has three parts, shape your mindset, build your brand, and be the driver. Thanks for joining us. Today we continue with part one on how to shape your mindset. We'll explore principle number two, aim outside your league. I hope you have downloaded the framework by joining the mailing list and printed it and have it visible. A couple of comments regarding the framework. It gives us a structure to tie all the pieces together and to have these conversations. But life is not as rigid and each of us will have to focus more on different principles. For example, listener A can be a master of five of those principles and not be so good at the others, while listener B is totally the opposite. Exploring each principle will help you identify what principles you need to get better at. As we discussed in episode one, wanting more is a critical step in this journey. The next step is determining how much more. This is where your aim gets tested. There is a very direct relationship between how high your aspirations are and how spectacular your achievements are. When your goal is just an average one, no additional energy beyond cruise control is needed, and the sad part is, it leads to an easy achievement that doesn't change your life. When you set an ambitious goal for yourself, you will find more motivation when visualizing that future state, and you will find creative ways of achieving it. In the process, you will grow professionally and or personally, and you will learn to tap into all of your potential. However, most people do not do this. Why not? Probably because they listen to voices around them that remind them normal is good enough. This could be friends, family, co workers, or their own head. They want to avoid the sour taste of defeat. Can't blame them, right? It is sour and bitter. They are limited by their current understanding of what is out there because they might only see what's in front of them. And they filter themselves out by believing they are not good enough and don't even knock on the door. But I want you, my audience, to know that aiming high is necessary. When you do it, you are creating the opportunity to take your career and life to another level. If I would not have wanted more and aimed high when I was 17, I would not have applied to an Ivy League school as a kid in a Central American high school. Because honestly, my grades were good, but not stellar. Aiming high does not work all the time. Failure is part of the journey. Just accept it is a possible outcome, but that should not stop you from aiming high. Yes, have a plan B that is more realistic, but it should only come into play after exhausting all possibilities of achieving plan A. To help me dive into this topic, I am very excited to be joined by Dr. Alex Frano. Dr. Frano is an assistant professor of physics at University of California, San Diego, and assistant director of a massive research collaboration funded by the U.S. Department of Energy. He obtained his PhD and master's degree at the prestigious Max Planck Institute in Germany. He spent several years at University of California, Berkeley doing a postdoc, where he received the University of California Presidential Postdoctoral Fellowship, the most prestigious fellowship given by such university. He is also the author and co-author of many scientific papers in his field. He is someone who wanted more and aimed high. I also want you guys to know these principles apply to all fields, not just business. Dr. Frano, welcome to the Road to Champagne podcast. I am very happy to have you here today. How are you?
1: I'm doing good. It's a pleasure to be here. Dr. Frano,
0: so you heard my brief explanation of why aiming high is critical. And I think you have experienced the power of this principle. So my first question to you is, how has this principle played out in your life?
1: It's safe to say that the principle has shaped my life in its entirety. In the sense that if you compare where I am now, academically, career-wise, professionally, with where I thought I could be or what my dreams were, it is basically an infinite ratio there. Because for me, at some point, aiming high was everything I could do and the only thing I could do if I wanted to ever pursue a career in physics, which is what I do now. Like you, I come from a fairly limited country, Honduras where education is not a, you know, government priority, or maybe it is, but the resources are limited. Yeah. The intention is there, but many times the resources are not there. So I grew up in a place where studying physics was simply not even a thing. And so the concept of aiming high for me was to become a physicist. That was my dream. Yeah. What did you do?
0: How how did you test this principle and you aimed high and landed somewhere else?
1: Let me just tell you, to put things into context, when I decided to study physics at the National University of Honduras, there were no students enrolled in the major. This university serves the whole country of Honduras. Wow. Not one student was enrolled in the program. Yet, I found a way to enroll, and I I, I wanted to do that. I was very intrigued by this. I, I didn't really know what it could do in terms of career, but I was fascinated by physics, and I really wanted to be a physicist. And so I started studying this. So basically, I was the only student sitting in a classroom for many years. There was like a one-on-one tutoring. That was great, actually, in hindsight, but it was very sort of weird. All my friends were in big classes, and they, they had a trajectory that was pretty clear to them, whereas I wasn't sure about that. However, there was one thing I knew I wanted to do, which is to conduct research at a professional sort of real-life level. To do that, I needed to get into a graduate program. And not just any graduate school, it had to be something prestigious and opening of opportunities. Yeah. I decided to pursue a graduate program at the Max Planck Institute in Germany. Massively resourced and financed operation where I could see the whole span of trajectories in front of me of what I could, could pursue as research.
0: How did your mind go to that aspiration? Did somebody tell you about it? Did somebody influence you? Did, did you come up with it you know, on your own? How did that happen?
1: A little bit of everything. I do thank my parents, especially my father. He was always suggesting that there's better things out there that, you, you know, you can, you can try and you can go out and get. Great. It wasn't clear what that meant, even for him. But at least the, the seed was planted of there's more out there, right? Because he's not a physicist. He's not an academic. So it wasn't clear to him what I could do, but, but he knew that was something I could do, and he kept insisting on that. That was nice. It's, and also my, That's awesome. my professors at, at college, everybody said, there's ways you can go out there and get a master's and do something better than just, say, for instance, staying here and teaching at some high school level, which is more or less the ceiling for a physicist in Honduras. Yeah. And of course, I actually also had friends around me who were aspiring other things as well and wanted to be, for instance, artists, writers. Surrounding myself with this kind of ideas gave me ideas myself of better things.
0: That's great, because sometimes what happens is the opposite, right? (laughs) The voices around you are kind of just keeping you steady where you are. So it's great to be surrounded by people that will influence you in a positive way. That's great.
1: Absolutely. Of course, there were also those negative voices. Don't don't get me wrong. For sure.
0: Tell us what happened when you arrived to Germany and during one of your first days, you had to take a test. To kind of like, you know, level set everybody so the professor
1: could know where people were. That was a rough day. That was a rough day. So, right. So the university has people coming in from many, many countries. And this is a pretty standard thing people do. They set out, put out a little test. Actually, the test is anonymous. You don't even put your name down. They just want to know what the level is. So, so, so just to prepare the course. I didn't write my name down, but if I could have written my name down, that would have been the only thing I would have written down. Oh man! So I get this test, I start looking at the questions, and I said to myself, what have I done? Mind you, I'm already in Germany, I've been there for about a month because I had to go learn the language first.
0: Which is impressive, by the way.
1: <laughs> well, it's a difficult language, it took some time, more than a month, but the first month was pretty crucial, we got like an intensive course. And at that point, I'm settled, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in Germany, I can't turn back anymore. And I get this test, which I cannot even write down a word for as an answer. you know, maybe 10 questions. All of them were almost a different language, even though they were in English, as it turns out. I was super frustrated. And then I left the room and I went to my dorm and I cried. And I I said, I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I'm not ready for this. I thought at the time that it was related to my resource-limited undergraduate education. Hmm. Yeah, that was was a rough day. And then the next day, the professor came and said, that was nothing. We're just going to start from scratch. And that gave me a bit of a sense of like, okay, the world isn't ended yet, but it was not easy. The path forward is not easy at all. It was a taste of what was to come.
0: Yes. I think what you're implying is that aiming high must be accompanied with a huge effort, right? Because when you get to that next level or that big league, the effort that you're going to have to put in to perform at the average level is really huge, right? Because now, now you're, you're with big league players, right? You got to step up your game. Yeah. I told your story in one of the chapters in my book, and you basically said that for the next two years, you had your head in the books, a lot of sacrifices, catching up and making sure that you were going to perform at the level that you were expected to perform.
1: Absolutely, exactly right. And, and the effort also came with, at least in my case, a little bit of pain. It is ideal for me that I like physics. I, I find it extremely fascinating which means that when I work hard on it, it's, you know, at least something I like. Yes. Both effort and sacrifice are things that come with having goals that are beyond what you normally can achieve.
0: So one thing that I like about your story, also, Dr. Frano, is that you left your country hoping for more, you know, aiming for the big leagues with that huge dream and just a little bit of money in your pocket, right, that you were able to save. What I want the audience to know is that, Sometimes you don't need to have a huge bank account to be able to pursue your dreams. Sometimes you need just some pocket change and more drive and hunger to be able to get to
1: where, where you want to get, right? Absolutely. If you want something, there's always a way. Of course, sometimes the way requires money. Then you figure it out. You save up some money or you get a loan. I actually got a little loan for the, for the masters as well. In addition, sometimes you need to find alternative routes. And I'll tell you an example. One of the reasons I was very interested in going to Germany is because their educational system is essentially funded by the government. So matters like tuition and even room and board are heavily subsidized to a point where even when you pay it off, it is affordable, at least more affordable than the United States and North America. And so that was actually part of the strategy. I only had a limited amount of money. The options were sort of tied to that.
0: Once you finish your master's and your PhD in Germany, you came to the United States. I find it fascinating that at one point, a mentor had to help you reset your aim back up because it started to drop. Tell us that story. How has it impacted the way you aim?
1: I was finishing what is called a postdoc in an academic career. After you get your PhD, there's a time period between that point and the point where you become a professor or at least a tenure track professor, which is called a postdoc. So you're already earning a salary. You're okay. You're not a student anymore, but you're still not employed by a long-term contract university. So I'm doing this postdoc in the University of California Berkeley. Yeah. So I had an advisor, this man used to be a very powerful person at the University of California Berkeley. He was supposed to write letters of recommendation for me. I told him that I wanted to apply to jobs as professor at universities that are called R2 universities which are a little bit more teaching oriented. Mhm. Now, these are important universities, and and they're very good universities as well. But at the same time, if you want to be in academia, the so-called R1 universities, the ones that are research and teaching mostly research, are sort of that high-end, high goal that you want to look for.
0: The next league up.
1: The the, the highest league (laughs) Yeah. It doesn't get higher than that. We're talking about, you know, the UCs, MIT, Harvard, this level. So it is safe to say that it was um, a moment of doubt for me that I said, you know, uh, I think I have a good enough CV curriculum to apply to one of these universities and sort of settle for a job that, you know, would be good and everything would be fine. However, my advisor said, no, you have enough curriculum to apply to an R1 Ivy League university. Mm -hmm. I will write you a letter of recommendation for the ones you're thinking right now. Only if you also apply to the R1.
0: <laughs>
1: Unfortunately, it's nice. not just clicking more buttons to send out these applications. You actually have to write a research statement, which is a long document, which is tailored to the priorities. So, so it was a different research statement. So that took me it was, it was a bit of work involved in this. But I did it because I wanted the letters of recommendation. We had a deal. Yeah. The irony of the story is that I basically did not get any callbacks from the R2 university. Hmm. And almost all of R one universities interviewed me. So I was just dead wrong. There may be many reasons for this. I, I don't know, but yeah, um, but I was
0: just maybe wrong. Uh, he said something bad about you in the R2 applications. It, it could
1: be. Yeah. <laughs> just to, <laughs> uh, you know, watch exactly. out for you. <laughs> right, right, right. Totally.
0: Excellent. Excellent. Yeah.
1: So that was a lesson I learned that maybe I'm underestimating myself.
0: Yeah, and that's a good point. Sometimes we need people to help us reset our aim. That happened to you. That happened to me when I was applying to business school. Actually, I applied to a great university in Latin America, and I got accepted. I spoke to the CFO of the company to see if they wanted to help me financially, you know, with the condition that I would come back after graduation. He spoke to the other executives, came back to me and said, listen, we will support you but only if you apply to the top US business schools. And I was like, oh man, why didn't I think of that? Right, And I maybe didn't think of that because of the you know, financial situation because I couldn't afford it. But now that I had these guys backing me up, there was another set of options. And I was like, okay, I got to set my aim high. So it happens. you know. Sometimes you need somebody... Thank God for people that are there to help you reset that aim and tell you, no, man, you got to you got to aim higher.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: many young professionals in different fields tend to aim for realistic targets, maybe including some of your students or some of our listeners. What is some practical advice that you would give them so that they can start practicing aiming higher?
1: First thing I, I try to tell them, which is something I myself try to tell myself, is to keep your confidence Believe in yourself sounds cliche, but I do it by virtue of showing to them what it is that they are doing right and what it is that their strengths are. That, of course, gives anyone confidence and then people tend to react better like that. And that, of course, also plays myself. When I have moments like that, I say to myself what it is that I, I remind myself what it is that I know I can do well and what it is that I actually know I can't do well. I also say best laid plans are ones ones in which you have your end goal, which is something very ambitious, way beyond what you call normal or ordinary. But if you can somehow elaborate a plan in which along the way, you'll be getting smaller results that will keep you going. Plan involves steps along the way that will keep your confidence at least high enough, positive enough that you can continue along that path, despite, let's say, you know, the usual frustrations.
0: Great. Now, what are some of the most interesting experiences that you've had that have made you wonder, wow, I would have never imagined I would do this had I aimed for the normal outcomes? Oh, gosh. Maybe some of the exciting research that you're working on or...
1: I'd say everything of my life right now can be put in that category. So I'll start with, you know, some cool things. I conduct research at what's called a large-scale facility which is this massive institution. For example, there's one on the hills of Berkeley. They actually have this unbelievable view of the whole bay. You have a lab there, which is funded by the Department of Energy. It's a big building, and there's a particle accelerator. I don't don't want to get too technical here. There's a little electron accelerator, and that produces a very specific kind of light. We use this light to investigate materials. What's incredible about this is the massive scale of this operation. There's, I don't know, maybe up to a thousand people working there so that I can do an experiment. And that just feels unbelievable to have this enormous resource for me, for my experiment, which I conceived, I propose that There's a process. You have to write a proposal and what have you. Hmm. The people that can do this in the world are, are a handful of people that are you know, equipped to do this. Phenomenal. It's just incredible. I mean, these kinds of things were just impossible back when I started.
0: Tremendous. That's very exciting. So have you ever aimed very high, hoping you would hit the target only to fail? What happened?
1: Uh, Many times, for sure. Many times. I'll tell you one that you might find interesting. I wanted to work at McKinsey. (laughs) And I had nobody around me tell me, no, you could probably end up getting a job at McKinsey. I should have talked to you back then. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) In fact, the people I had around me didn't quite understand the whole... I didn't know anybody that worked in there. I had more sort of science-oriented physicists around me. And they had no idea. So nobody could really tell me, yeah, you're, you, realistically, you could land there. But I did try. I sent out applications. And I don't know what happens when these applications go into the McKinsey inbox of applications. But nothing came back. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure they get a whole bunch of these. That so ha-
0: That happens to all of us.
1: Right. I, I tried many consulting companies. The smaller ones, as you can imagine, did kind of respond a little bit sometimes. But nothing really happened. It didn't really gel. And I was actually kind of bummed by this. See, the thing about physics is that it is sort of a door opener. So you can have many different trajectories, all of which are amazing in their own way. Yeah. And I ended up doing pure fundamental academic research. But that's not the only thing I could do. And that's not the only thing I would enjoy doing. I like problem solving. And I suppose a context like consulting could have given me that. So I was bummed by not getting this. And here I am.
0: Yeah. And I think the lesson there for our audience is that sometimes you're going to aim high and you're not going to get it. And you just need to dust off and try again or try something else. But don't start just lowering your aim. You know, figure out that, that's right. where else can you shoot or aim that is high. And like I said earlier, okay, at some point you might have to have a plan B, right? You get dinged from all the top schools you're applying. Okay, maybe you wait another year and try it again, but eventually you're going to have to, okay, maybe lower your aim a little bit, right?
1: That is right. If you go to a plan B, a different version of your goal, It doesn't have to be lower in in sort of ambition level. You know, you can try something, it didn't work. You can try another extremely ambitious thing right after, especially if you understand what went wrong and what what you could do better, then you can reshape that towards your next ambitious goal.
0: Yes. So Dr. Frano, I'm going to let you ask me a question.
1: All right, cool. Let me ask you this. How do you ensure that when you aim high, you maintain a good chance of succeeding?
0: You have to aim high knowing that you have some basic level of meeting certain criteria. You should not meet all of the criteria because if you do, then you're not aiming high enough, right? You're aiming for the normal because you already check all the boxes. So there is some basic level of performance that you must demonstrate. For example, I love cars. If I wanted to be a car designer for Aston Martin, that is aiming very high. It's, it's aiming too high because that is not really my training, right? That would be a very unrealistic goal. You need to aim high, but in an area where, where you meet some of the criteria, not all. When that door opens and you're invited into that new league, this is when you have to really continue learning as fast as you can so that you can perform at that level, which is a higher bar. You know, kind of like what you were mentioning when you went to a Max Planck Institute, and it was a different ballgame. And you had to spend a lot of hours for you know, a couple of years just studying. There is an effort that does not end once you are admitted into that league. But you have to know that you have the drive, the energy, and the commitment to make sure that you are effectively going up that learning curve and delivering the results that are expected from you in that new league. Yeah. So each of our audience members is on their journey to success, trying to get to their champagne, that professional stage we desire and work towards. What is the main thing you want our audience to remember when they think about why they should aim outside their league?
1: When you aim outside your your league, obviously the best case scenario is what you are looking for. But even if you fail at that, you learn more from a very ambitious goal than you do if your goals are less ambitious, more normal. The failures and the, the stumblings teach you more so that you can rehash your plan and eventually get there. At the end of the day, the concept of aiming high, to me, is, is a learning process it's, as well as the end result. It teaches you more even when you don't get there.
0: I agree. I think it is a win-win scenario. So if you achieve your goal, you win. If you fail, you also win because you learn some things along the way that are going to prepare you for your next attempt at something similar, something equally big, but maybe maybe a little bit different, or maybe trying the same thing again, right? So you're going to learn. You're going to be better prepared. So I think it is win-win from that perspective. It is. Dr. Alex Frano, thank you so much for joining me today and exploring this powerful principle. It was really fun learning more about your road to success, especially because you made me proud as your older cousin.
1: Thank you, Alejandro. And thanks everyone for listening. And and I hope you find your your path and and aim high doing it. Yes.
0: So remember everybody, you must take action to start unlocking the power of this principle in your life. Do not limit yourself or say no to your aspirations. Let others try to do that. I could have easily convinced myself I was not Cornell University or Kellogg MBA material and lowered my aim. But saying no is the job of the applications committee, not mine. If you are going through the process of choosing how to aim high, either for a job or school or acquiring a prestigious customer, whatever it is, go big. Have a plan B, but first exhaust the possibilities of plan A materializing. And if people around you are in that position, encourage them to aim high. Sometimes that is all one needs, someone believing in you and stating it. Let's meet again in episode 3, where we will explore the next step in shaping your mindset. Always be whip. That is, work in progress, always learning. I have another awesome guest lined up for you. Thank you for joining me in this episode. I hope you are inspired by this principle. So cheers to your success on Your Road to Champagne. Please don't forget to visit roadtochampagne.com and join our mailing list to download the framework we are using. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and classmates. Send your comments in the website's contact page and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Follow Road to Champagne on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.